Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. When I think celebration, there's a lot of you in this room that's going to remember a particular night that a lot of us celebrated. There's this one particular interception that took place about two years ago by a man named Keely Ringo, right? Y'all know? Okay, there's like eight Georgia fans in the room. Okay. And so we remember that night. We remember that celebration. And the reason that we remember it is because it was a miracle from God. But if you remember, we, over the next probably two to three weeks on social media, we constantly saw how people responded to this interception. You remember people would post their home videos of, of what chaos was taking place in their living room or what, what it was taking place at their, wherever the location was, they decided to go and watch this football game. And so we saw that responses ranged from everything. We saw people that were literally laying in the floor in tears. We saw people that would go running in their backyards, just screaming and yelling. We saw people doing jumping jacks. We saw families hugging and crying. And then there would also be those that were just sitting there in awe, not saying a word because the reality, this can't be happening. But then there was those who absolutely hate Georgia and you sat there in complete denial. This is not happening. Where's Richard Oates? He walked in here wearing his Alabama vest this morning. But you sat there in complete denial of what was taking place because we didn't want it to be happening. But we see that there was all kind of responses as a result of this event that took place. And so I want us to think about this morning as I was reading and getting ready for, for this celebration day as we celebrate Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I wonder what it would be like if we were to go back 2,000 years ago and technology allowed us to, if we could have had a camera on that tomb and the resurrection was being televised, what would it have been like if we would have been sitting in our living room watching this, this tomb covered by a stone where for many of us, we may have thought that this was the Messiah, this is the King and we're looking at his tomb and thinking, no, no, what's gonna happen now? We're hopeless, there's no way. And then all of a sudden, that stone began to shake. And that stone rolled away. Now you understand, that stone rolled away, not so Jesus could get out. He didn't need the help of a stone being moved. It was so that you and I could see in that he's not there. But can you imagine what the response would have been like all over the world as they saw the resurrected body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ walk out of the tomb? I believe it would closely resemble that night of Keely Ringo. 
I think there would be some that were sitting there in awe, laying in the floor with tears rolling down their face, family members hugging one another. But I also believe there would be some that are sitting there with their arms crossed going, this can't be happening. There's no way that this event is happening. But here's just a side note to all the faithful Georgia fans. You do realize what we celebrate today is much greater than a national championship. But dadgummit, what if we got as excited about a resurrected king as we do a football game? What would this world look like if we celebrated the resurrection the way that we celebrate a pigskin? I think things would look a little bit differently. But what you're gonna notice today, and I was blown away, and honestly, I just laughed, and as I read through Matthew's account of this resurrection event, in Matthew chapter 28, which is where we're gonna be reading from, I'm just gonna simply read the entire chapter, and I know, oh my gosh, I read slow too, so I apologize in advance. But we're just gonna simply read through because the truth of the matter is, is the hardest message to preach is the resurrection message because in our minds as, as pastors, as preachers, we think that we've gotta to, to dress up this resurrection. What I've come to the reality is, it ain't my job to make the resurrection any more spectacular than the word of God announces that it is. And so we're gonna read it for what it is. So Matthew chapter 28, And we're gonna read verses one through 20. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and he became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified for he is not there. And for those in the South, he ain't there for he has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and with great joy. And they ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and he greeted them. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take the word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Now, while they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and they consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and they stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and they did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews. And it is to this day. Then verse 16. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, as we read this celebration, I'm gonna today just take a few minutes and I'm gonna share with you two thoughts and I'm gonna leave with you one question. Now, for all you theologians, you super scholars, I hate to disappoint you because you're gonna see that my thoughts are pretty simple. They're not, they're not real deep. And so I hate to disappoint you, but the two thoughts that I wanna leave you with are this, the resurrection is astonishing. And the second thought, you ready for this real theological depth? The resurrection's true. The resurrection is astonishing, and the resurrection is true. And the question that I wanna leave with you this morning is, how you will you respond? How will you respond to the astonishment of the resurrection and how will you respond to the fact that it's true? And so when we think about that word astonishing, just in our English language, the, the word astonishing means this, extremely surprising, impressive, or maybe even amazing. If we were gonna quote what it means, we could say this, when the impossible becomes a reality. When the impossible becomes a reality, if we wanted to, to put a biblical spin on this definition, we could say this, when the supernatural overwhelms the natural. When the supernatural overwhelms the natural. And so as a human being, anytime we experience or we see something that's astonishing, it produces responses. I mean, the night that Georgia wins the national championship, it was surprising. Some of you thought it was impressive. Some may have thought it was amazing. And all of these responses were a result of something astonishing taking place. And so what we read in Matthew chapter 28 is we see a lot of responses at an astonishing event. We see a lot of different responses to something that was astonishing. We see that first the guards were fearful. The Bible says that they looked like dead men. Then we also know that Mary and Mary, they also were fearful for a moment. And then we see the same word fear used again about them after a conversation that they had with the angel that was sitting on the stone. But what we realize is that when you dive into the definition of fear in that part of the text, it means that now they went from fear to being an absolute awe of the risen king. They realized that this resurrection was a reality. And the Bible says they left with great joy. Then we see another response that there were those who denied it. They just wanted to pretend like it never happened, almost to the point they were pouting. Then we see a group of men and women who we read in the Bible says that they worshiped him. They worshiped him to the point they fell at his feet and grabbed him because they knew this was the son of God. But then what's interesting is the same people that it talked about they worshiped, it said, but some of those that believed still doubted. They still doubted. 
And so while we unpack all of these responses, what we see is that all of these responses were a response to the supernatural overwhelming the natural. And so regards to this resurrection that we are all here to celebrate this morning, there's no doubt in my mind that every one of us are going to respond to the resurrection in a different manner. Every one of us in this room have a different response to the resurrection of the risen king. There's some of you here this morning that, that you're so excited, you're celebrating, your hands are raised, you're jacked up about the celebration of life through Jesus Christ. But then there's some of you that the way that you respond today is you may just still be in awe that a man was dead for three days and that he overcame death. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and and in your mind, you're honestly angry. You're frustrated because you don't want this thing to be true. And you're sitting there this morning just denying the fact that the resurrection is true. That's an impossibility. I don't believe it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you wanna believe it, but you're not quite there. You wanna believe in this story. You wanna believe that there's life, but you're just not quite there. And so while we think about all these responses, what you're gonna see in a moment is that every one of us in this room can relate to every response that was in Matthew chapter 28. Because when we experience something astonishing, it produces a response in a human being. It produces a response in us as humans. So the first thought is that it's astonishing. The second thought of the resurrection is this, that it's true. Now we could spend forever talking about all the details that help prove the fact that the resurrection is true and that it really happened, that it's a reality, but there's there's just a couple that I wanna mention just in Matthew chapter 28 that'll, that'll help us understand the validity of this, of this resurrection. And the first one is, is this. The fact that God chose two women to be the first ones that witnessed an empty tomb and the fact that God allowed two women to be the messengers of this great miraculous information to take back to the people. You say, well, Brian, well, that sounds like a male chauvinist pig comment. But you see, you have to understand, this is not Brian's opinion. That was not Brian's choice. Brian is not God. So you say, well, how does that help prove that the resurrection is true? The reason that that proves the resurrection is true is because in the context of when we're reading about this, this event taking place, a woman's testimony had absolutely no credibility. A woman had no voice. What a woman said didn't matter. It carried no weight. And so the fact that God is going to choose a woman to do this was proof that it was true because if it was just something as simple as spreading a lie about an event that really didn't happen, he would have chosen someone that had had a, had a loud voice, someone that was listened to, someone that was respected. But instead, he worked outside of man's ways, as God always does, and he used women to deliver this important information. And then we also see that 11 disciples were mentioned that this information was taken back to. 
So these 11 disciples that received this information that ended up seeing Jesus and spending time with Jesus, we realized that they believed it to be true to the point that they lived a life of persecution, which honestly led to all of their deaths as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ, of them believing the validity of this resurrection, them owning the fact that he is who he says he is, and it cost them their life. So I think if there's something worth believing in that's gonna cost us our life, it's probably true. I'm not gonna live my, I'm not gonna lose my life over a lie, but I'm willing to lose my life for truth. And that's what we see in the testimony of these disciples. And so we see that these are just two simple facts or two pieces of evidence that help us understand that not only is the resurrection astonishing, but the resurrection's true. And so now I wanna to get to the question. How will you respond to the resurrection? How will you respond to the astonishment of the resurrection? And how will you respond to the truth of the resurrection? And as I said a moment ago, we see a lot of different responses. And so what we've done this morning is we're gonna take the responses and we're gonna split them into two categories, if you would. We're gonna examine the response of the believers, but then we're also gonna examine the response of those who don't yet believe or those who do not believe. And so I first wanna take some time and look at the response of the believers we see in verse eight, talking about the women, it said the women had great joy. Verse 17, or verse nine says that they fell at his feet and they worshiped him. And then verse 17 references the disciples talking about they worshiped him. And so we see that this is obviously the result of the believers believing in the resurrection. It was turned to worship. You know, and there's many of you in this room this morning that you can say, hey, I can relate to that. I believe in the resurrected king. And you came in here this morning just guns a-blazing. You were ready to get into worship. You were ready to celebrate this day that we call Easter. You came all in ready to go because you believe that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the reason you believe that is because you were once hopeless, but now you have hope. You were once dead, but now you're alive. You were once in darkness and now you're in light. And so because of that, you worshiped this morning and you came ready to do so and you're all in today. And I'm thankful for you. But the ones I'm also thankful for is what we see also as a response from a believer that we may have a hard time with. Because as you saw in verse 17, it talked about some were all in ready to worship. But as a disciple, it said that there were still some who doubted. Who doubted. Is this true? Is this a reality? And if you're anything like me, thinking about these 11 disciples who watched him die and now have seen him again, completely healed, new body, everything, and they still doubt. In my mind, I'm going, you moron. How in the world are you doubting who he is? Can I tell you this morning that I, when I settle down and I begin to examine my own heart and mind, I can relate to those who doubt probably more than anybody in the room. 
Because I believe that Jesus is the resurrected king. I believe I'm a born again believer purchased by the blood of the lamb. But can I tell you that there's times in my life where I still doubt Jesus? I still doubt as a result of my circumstances. I still doubt as a result of hard times that I'm walking through. I still doubt at times when my prayers don't get answered the way that I want them to. And so while, yes, I believe in the Son of God, I believe in the resurrection, there are still days that I doubt. And I'll be the first to admit it. But what I am thankful for today is that every day that I wake up and I doubt God's love and I doubt if he even knows what he's doing, aren't you thankful that the doubt that I have in my life doesn't influence the love that he has for me? Aren't you thankful that when you live in fear, when you live overwhelmed with anxiety, you live with doubt, you live with depression, I want you to understand this morning that all of those emotions don't dictate or change the Father's love for you. He loves you right where you're at. And that is what is beautiful about the love of God. A love that doesn't make sense. And so we see the response of the believers. Some are all in and some believe, but you just don't have it in you today. That's okay. Because I believe more times than not, there's a lot more people that can relate to that than those who are all in. And so we see that this is the response of the, of the believer. Now what I want us to do is just take a few minutes and look at the response of the unbeliever. And so the first response we see to the unbeliever is what we read in verses 12 through 14. It said that these soldiers, they ran back real quick and said, hey, he's not there. They said, hey, here's what you do. We're gonna pay you a lot of money and we're just gonna pretend this thing never happened. There's a lot of you Alabama fans. That's the way you wish that night would have happened. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna pay you a lot of money. We're just gonna pretend this thing didn't happen. It'd have made it a lot easier, wouldn't it? It would have. And so that's the mindset of, of these soldiers. That's the mindset of this government is they're saying, hey, you know what? We're just gonna cover this thing up. We're gonna pretend that this, this, this resurrection is not a reality. We're just gonna pretend that it never happened because you see the problem with it really happening is it was a slap of reality to these men because they realized in that moment, if this resurrection was a reality, then we've just killed the one that we've been looking for. The one that we've just convicted of blasphemy was telling the truth. The one that we just placed in the tomb and he walked out unscathed was truly the son of God. And what they realized in that moment, if this resurrection is true, then we're forced to respond to something. Can I tell you this morning that there's people in this room today that you don't want it to be true? Because you know that if the resurrection is true, then it's gonna force a response. And it's a response of choosing to trust Jesus or it's a response of turning and denying him. So the question is, is how will you respond to the resurrection? Are you just gonna pretend it never happened and sit there this morning with your arms crossed 
And maybe in the back of your mind going, man, I hope this whole thing ain't true. Because if it's true, and all this stuff that I hear preached and taught on, it don't end well for me. Because if the resurrection is true, these men would have realized that this is the one that was sent to seek and save that which is lost. But just like these Roman soldiers, just like this government, this Roman government that we, that we read about right here, I want you to understand this. Just because you ignore it doesn't make it not true. Just because you choose to ignore it doesn't make it not true. And there's coming a day that you're all gonna realize that this resurrection is true. That this resurrection is a reality. And so maybe you're that person today that you're just denying this resurrection. It just doesn't make sense to you. Or maybe you're that person this morning that Maybe you're like Judas. Maybe you're like Judas. You, you, you believe it's true. You believe that this is the son of God. You believe that he is the risen king, but, but you're just rejecting the invitation. Because if you know, we read a moment ago that the news was delivered to 11 disciples. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You've all heard it your life. How many disciples were there? There was 12 into the departure of Judas. And I know Judas kind of gets a bad rap, but I think if we really slow down and we examine the heart of Judas, even as a believer and an unbeliever alike, we can relate to Judas a lot more than we realize. And some of you probably just got mad at me for saying that. Well, I'm more spiritual than Judas. Are you? I don't know that I am. But you see, really what Judas was upset about, the reason Judas chose to deny Christ and reject the invitation was simply because Jesus didn't perform how he wanted him to perform. Because in Judas's mind, if Jesus truly did come to save us, if he truly, truly came to rescue us, then he would overthrow Rome now. He would fix all of our problems now. If Jesus really is the son of God, he would make things easier now. That if we follow him, then life should just be smooth. How many times have you been taught that in church? You just give your life to Jesus and everything will get better. I stand to testify this morning that that's not the case. A lot of times following Jesus, things get a lot harder. But are we gonna be as faithful to him as he's gonna be faithful to us? Because you see, Judas wanted everything fixed. Judas wanted Jesus to do what he wanted him to do. And it's almost the gears begin to shift in Matthew chapter 26 when, when Jesus said in two days, I'm gonna turn myself over. It's almost like Judas said, well, wait a minute. If you're really the warrior, if you're really the king, that's no way that a king would go out. And if you're not gonna perform the way I want you to, Jesus, then I'm out. I wonder how many in the room this way, this is your mindset. You're angry, you're frustrated, you're discouraged with Jesus because he hasn't done what you've wanted him to do. I've been there. I've prayed for people to be healed. 
I've prayed for marriages to be reconciled. I've prayed for certain things to happen. But at the end of the day, what I've had to realize is that, that my ways are not his ways. And just as we shared a moment ago, even in light of my doubting, he still loves me. But Judas, because Jesus wasn't doing what Judas, or what Jesus wasn't doing what Judas wanted him to do, Judas said, I'm out. I'm out. And there's some of you in the room that are like that today. Jesus hasn't done what you've wanted him to do. So you said, I'm out. And I understand. Listen, I wish I could take every one of you and with all of your heartache, with all of your heartbreak, with all of your struggles and everything that you've walked through, I wish I could sit you down and give you an explanation as to why, but I can't. All I can do is to tell you to hang on and trust him anyway. You see, that's the hardest part of being a follower of Christ is trusting when we can't see what's next. But you know, even our rejection, he still loves us. Even when we're angry with him, even when we're frustrated with him, even when we want to make sense of it all and it doesn't make sense, he still loves us. And there's a lot of you that are going to walk out of here just like Judas did. You see, Judas regretted his rejection. Judas regretted the fact that he rejected this invitation from Jesus. He rejected it so much that he decided to end his own life. He just decided to give up. I've crossed the line. I've turned over the Savior. And he just decided to throw in the towel because he didn't understand the love of the Father. He was remorseful for what he did, but he didn't respond the way the Father wanted him to respond. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've rejected this invitation time and time and time again. Can I tell you, if that's you this morning, the enemy's gonna tell you it's too late. If you're here this morning by the grace of God, it's not too late. There's nothing you have done. There's no sin too deep. There's no place too dark that the Father's love can't redeem you. But don't do like Judas. Don't ignore the remorse. Don't ignore the hurt. And my prayer has been this whole week is that you would respond more like another man who rejected Jesus. And his name's Peter. And he didn't only reject Jesus one time. He rejected him three times. 
And the Bible talks about how remorseful Peter was because Peter realized, I've denied the one who died for me. I've rejected the one who laid down his life for me. But you see the difference in Judas and Peter is Peter allowed this godly sorrow to bring forth repentance. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've rejected Jesus time and time and time again. What I wanna remind you of is the question that Jesus asked Peter. He asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And my prayer has been this morning is that the Spirit of God in your heart this morning would simply whisper to you, do you love me? How are you gonna answer, do you love me? What are you gonna do with that question? Because I'm here to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter if you're like Judas and you've rejected once. It doesn't matter if you're like Peter and you've rejected three times. The Father is in constant pursuit of you to redeem you, to reconcile you back to him. If you will simply stop trying to fix it all and simply turn and trust Jesus for who he says he is. And so this morning we realized that, that this resurrection is astonishing. We realize this resurrection is true. But the question is, is what will you do? What will you do? And nothing's gonna break the Father's heart more than when you turn your back on this invitation that's extended this morning. And I want you to understand, this is not an invitation that Brian's extending. I don't have that authority. I don't have that power. But there's somebody in this room today, probably multiple people in this room, that the Holy Spirit of God is inviting you in to a relationship with him. You've rejected him for years. Maybe you've even denied him. And this last one time, you're hearing that voice saying, do you love me? Do you love me? question is, is how will you answer that? How are you going to respond to this resurrection? You know, maybe you're all in today. Maybe you came in ready to worship. Or maybe today you came in and your mind, you want to worship, but there's still, you're overwhelmed with doubt because of the circumstances that you've been dealt. Maybe today you just fall on your knees and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Or maybe today you're here this morning and as we've just shared, you've, you've just denied this whole resurrection thing. My prayer is that you this morning, that you hear the Spirit of God 
saying, don't let that resurrection be for nothing. Or maybe you're here and you've heard the invitation for years. And maybe in your mind, the enemy's told you, well, you've got to clean this up or you've got to clean that up before you can follow me. And I want you to understand that's not how the resurrection works. It's about Jesus making dead things alive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org and don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.